Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you this morning. I hope that you're doing well. I know that you are. I trust that you're experiencing the presence of God in a mighty way. Uh, it's a real honor for me to be here with you today. Pastor Gary is uh, back in Michigan, back with family, uh, taking care of some much-needed things with family members, and also taking some time off just to be with his family and enjoy their presence. So I hope that today that you'll uh, hear something that will absolutely change your life, and I'm really believing that you will. name of the teaching today is it's called Understanding Remez, R-E-M-E-Z, Remez. Now, that's a word that you most likely have never heard. And of course, we as Christians, we have as our, as our foundation of Christianity, not only being saved through the blood of Jesus, but we have been given the foundation of the Word of God, our roadmap through life, if you will, the precious promises of God. Uh, as I love what it says in Hebrews 4.12. It tells us that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But did you hear what it said? It says that the Word is alive. The Word is living. So we have been given uh, a printed page book of God's Word, which is different from any printed page book uh, that exists in this world. These words that have been printed on the page, when we read these words, there is something that God has placed within your spirit that when you take hold of these words, these words come alive, they explode with faith on the inside of you. It brings life change to each one of us. So his word is so important for us to be a student of. And in this church, as you well know, we talk a lot about journaling, and we're going to be talking a lot more of it in the months to come. And we, uh, of course, in OSL, in our discipleship class, we cover that as well. It's so important to be on the Word on a daily basis. So this concept of remez that I'm bringing to you today is something that is new, it's fresh. Uh, I really strongly suggest that you download the notes uh, from the website at myvcc.org, and you have those. And you could go back over this teaching a few times if you need to with the notes, because the notes are going to be very imperative for you to really get the understanding of what we're talking about today. The word remez is not a biblical word. It's a modern Hebrew word. Uh, And like I said, it's not found in the Bible. Remez describes a teaching method that is found in the Gospels 300 plus times. And some have said up to as many as 400 times this process or concept of remez has been used by Jesus and by Paul and some of the other writers. The definition of remez would be this. The word remez means a hint, it means a clue, and it means a look back. Remez really has no equivalent in the English culture. But this word remez and the concept of remez has been used by rabbis and Jewish teachers for over the last 2,000 years and is used by rabbis today. To understand remez, we need to understand the Jewish educational system that was found around Galilee in Jesus' time. Young boys, especially, were required to memorize large portions of the Torah, or we would say the first five books of the Bible. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they memorized large portions of that, and some even memorized the whole five books. And when they went on into their teens, like I said, they went into memorize not only that, but they went on to go into deeper, uh, deeper studies as well. After the age of 12, if they were successful, they went on to memorize large portions of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They went on to memorize large portions of the Psalms and even Proverbs as well especially if they were going into what we would call rabbinical, rabbinical training, uh, they felt called by God to be a rabbi, then they would hook up with a prominent rabbi and they would become a disciple of that rabbi, not only to learn the scriptures and study in a more in-depth fashion, but also to take on the ways of the seasoned rabbi himself. So this process or concept even of disciples, disciples discipling, uh, was not new to Jesus with his 12, 12 disciples. This is something that had been going on uh, in the Jewish culture for years and years and years. This is why we see, as they had memorized these large portions of, of the Bible, this is why we see Jesus and Paul continually quoting Scripture from memory. They had been trained from their youth in this basic educational system. Now, all of you who have been in our class with OSL, now you can see that we're not too tough on you at all, can't you? And can you imagine living in Jesus' time and being a teenager and memorizing all that they had to memorize? In summary, we could say this. <clears throat> in first century Judea and Galilee, the people were extremely well-versed in the scriptures. And we see this over and over again throughout the Gospels, when people come to Jesus and they'll say, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And all of a sudden they're having these great philosophical uh, conversations with Jesus, and you see them quoting Scripture from memory and Jesus quoting Scripture back to them. Jewish teachers and rabbis would use this method of what we call remez as a kind of a shorthand in their teaching method. In other words, they would quote a couple of lines of scripture, and then the people who were well-versed in the word would understand the connecting verses and their meaning without them being spoken. So it was a kind of a shorthand way of the rabbi's teaching. Oftentimes, in this teaching method, it's what is not said that speaks louder than what is being said. Let me give you an example <clears throat> of, what, of how I kind of learned this and what kind of caught my attention with it, a story that I had heard. <clears throat> and it's, um, it's about a Hebrew professor who was retiring. He was a Hebrew professor at Oxford University, and he, was, uh, he taught uh, Hebraic studies. And so he was, he'd spent his whole life there, <clears throat> and he was retiring, and uh, so they were holding a retirement dinner for him. And so this man had spent his entire life uh, teaching the authenticity of the scriptures, the authenticity and the history and the accuracy. His whole life was to prove that the Bible was accurate and historically true. He had a star student, one that he had mentored greatly and spent a lot of time with. And this student had graduated and had received his uh, doctorate, 
And this student had taken a completely opposite stance. He spent his time uh, proving to his best of his ability that the Bible was not historically true, that it was not accurate, and it was full of fables and myths. And so at this retirement dinner, there was a man who stood up who happened to be an American, and it was a largely Jewish audience that were there, a lot of uh, his uh, other professors and, that, and a lot of Jewish people who understood Hebrew. So this one American stood up and he asked a question. And he asked him, he says, he says, I heard about this other student of yours. Well, how do you feel about this student who's taken the opposite approach to discredit the word of God? And so this Hebrew professor took a moment, he thought about it, and then all of a sudden he answered in Hebrew. And his answer was this. He answered with a remez. And his answer was this. I have nourished and brought up children. And then he stopped. And all of a sudden, the one who had asked the question, he was puzzled by the answer. I had nourished and brought up children. Then it clicked, and he recognized that he had answered with Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Only he only brought out part of the scripture because the rest of the scripture in Hebrews, uh, and I'm sorry, in Isaiah 1 verse 2 says this, I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me. So he answered in a very Jewish, a, a, a very rabbinical fashion by using a remez to answer the question. And so I'd like to, I want you to understand that as we, with Western thinking, as we're reading the Bible, as we're going through the Gospels, and especially the New Testament, uh, we often, we're approaching this with a Western mindset. So if we can understand the culture of the day, the culture that Jesus lived in, the culture of how people were raised, as young people were raised, if we can begin to understand that, and we can begin to see their teaching method of implementing a remez, you're going to find that what you've gleaned out of the Bible out of, is good. But if you'll understand remez, oftentimes you can go back and you'll get a deeper understanding of what was being said. So I'm going to cover four examples today of remez, uh, and uh, I hope that it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, don't worry if you're if you don't catch it the first time through, you've got your notes. You can go back and rewatch portions of the broadcast again. And uh, I believe that as you get a hold of this, it's going to be a blessing into your life. Our first example uh, is talking. I'm, let me ask you a question. What title does Jesus use most often to describe himself? If you said the Son of Man, you're correct. And it's actually used 84 times in the Gospels. Jesus uses that term to describe himself 84 times. Uh, let's take a look at Matthew 24, verse 30. And Jesus says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, this is, of course, in Matthew 24. This is speaking of the end times, uh, speaking of what will happen at the, 
end of the tribulation when Jesus returns to set up his millennial reign for a thousand years on the earth. And so let me ask you a question. What is the hint or the clue Jesus is wanting us to look back to in using this term, son of man? Well, it's found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Listen to the, listen to the connection here. And in Daniel 7, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Amazing. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Wow. This uh, look back to the prophet Daniel, and Jesus is saying, when you look back to the prophet Daniel and you see the connection of Son of Man, then you'll know that I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the coming one. I am the one that will set up a kingdom. I am the one that will come on the clouds. I am the one with dominion that is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. Powerful. Jesus proclaims in a very Jewish fashion, in a very Jewish way, that he is the Messiah. And so I would call this type of a remez, I would call this a term association remez. Let's look at a second example. Let me set this up for you to give you some understanding of where we are. Jesus has just cast out the money changers from the temple. We all know the story when he made a whip and he chased out. They were having kind of a swap meet in the temple. And so Jesus cast them out. The next verse after that says that he healed the sick when he purified the temple. Then the anointing was present, the power was present, and many sick people were healed. But let's take a look at Matthew 21, verses 14 through 16. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? In other words, when they were crying out that Hosanna to the son of David, uh, they were actually ascribing to Jesus that he's the Messiah. That's a, that's a messianic term, son of David. And so the leaders were saying, they turned to Jesus and they're saying, do you hear what they're saying? In other words, they were wanting Jesus to go over and, and rebuke them and quiet them. And then Jesus says to them, yes, yeah, I hear, yes. And then he says, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? So what is Jesus doing here? He's bringing a remez to them. 
And so one of the keys that I would, I would bring to you is anytime you see Jesus, especially quoting an Old Testament scripture, pause right there in your journaling and in your Bible reading, find out where that is, go back to that scripture section and read this passage he just quoted, and then read two or three verses beyond that and see if that doesn't give you a little bit more information into what was happening at the present time when Jesus quoted the scripture. So this is a Remez quote, where? From Psalms 8.2. So let's take a look at Psalms 8.2 and see what it says. It says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Whoa, hold on. Jesus said, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. But the psalm says, you have ordained strength. Now, interesting in the Hebrew language, this word for strength is also a word for praise. And so what Jesus did is he transliterated the word out of the Hebrew and brought it into, uh, and gave it a more, uh, a more broadened understanding of what that word means. What I really like about that is it tells me that when we worship God and we take the time to praise God, there is God's strength that is brought forth into our lives. So there is a strength. Now, do you think about healing in your body? You need healing. Uh, you need, you need uh, soundness of mind. You need healing within your thoughts and emotional, emotions and those types of things. I'm going to tell you, praise is one of the greatest vehicles that will bring God's strength into your life. It's powerful. But what is Jesus saying here? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Let's look at the rest of it. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. I like this scripture out of that last part out of the New Living Translation. And it actually says this, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Wow, let's read it with that understanding. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength or praise, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. So what did Jesus do by using this remez? He's conveying the message to the religious leaders of the day. He's saying that they have become God's enemies because they're opposing what Jesus is doing. They are not... They are, they are not convinced that he is the Messiah. They refuse to see him as such. They refuse to believe that this is God's plan. And so they have become, in a sense, through their opposing, they have become the enemies of God, being out of touch with what God is actually doing. So how did they respond to that remez, what was not spoken, but they understood it clearly, what Jesus had just said to them? While it doesn't tell us in Matthew's account of how they responded, but in Luke's account and in Mark's account, it does tell us how they respond. So look at Luke 19, 47, and it says, But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. Yes, they understood exactly what he had just done by using that scripture and that remez that he was calling them the enemies of God, exposing their, because they had no belief in God's plan. But when it says the word to destroy them in the Greek language, that's actually the word uh, apollomi, 
And that word apollomy is a very, it's, you might say, well, when it says destroy him, maybe it just means to discredit him. No, in the Greek language, uh, this word means to put him to death. It means to cause him not to exist anymore. It, t- it talks about a strong uh, destruction uh, to his personal being. So uh, in the Greek, it really comes out strong, a very strong word uh, that talks about that they were after to kill him and to destroy him. Uh, they understood the remez, and they understood that what was unspoken uh, spoke a lot louder than what he did say. Let's look at a third example. Uh, this one I really love. This is awesome. This is a little more. This is a little, little more uh, trickier remez, but I think that you'll be able to follow along with me, and I think you'll see it clearly. And this remez is talking about John the Baptist. Uh, He was, of course, we know that eventually John the Baptist uh, was imprisoned by Herod Antipas for coming against the adulterous marriage uh, when he married his brother Philip's wife. Uh, He married his sister-in-law, we could say. And so at this time that I'm going to be reading, uh, John, we really don't know exactly how long, but most people think it was near almost... six months to a year's time that John had already been in Herod's prison. And so John knows he's the forerunner to the Messiah, and the Messiah is supposed to, in John's mind and in a lot of the Jewish people's mindset, they believe that the Messiah was going to come set up a kingdom on the earth, which we know he will do that in the millennial age. But they believed it was going to happen right then at that time and that he was going, the Messiah was going to free them from Roman rule. And so uh, this is what John's thinking. This is what he's believing. This is what he's expecting. So the Messiah in his mind is supposed to come and make all things right on the earth. He's a deliverer. So John is in prison and he's thinking to himself, so why am I still in this prison since Jesus is the Messiah? Why am I still here? Why isn't Jesus doing what he's supposed to do as the Messiah and release me? Because John actually has scripture to back that up. Let's take a look at John's scripture that he uses. And he sends, he uses a, um, a term remez, like we saw earlier, to speak to Jesus in a certain way. So let's take a look at this, Matthew eleven two and 3. And so, and when John had, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said to him and said to Jesus. So these two disciples come to Jesus and they say this. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And so this term coming one is a term for the Messiah coming one to refer to a. And so the word coming, that phrase coming one refers to a particular passage out of the Old Testament. And so in John using this term, are you the coming one? He didn't say, are you the son of man? He didn't say, are you the Messiah? He didn't say, are you the son of David? He used this, these two words, coming one, purposefully because in the scripture where the term coming one is used, it speaks of being of someone being set free from prison. 
that the Messiah is supposed to set them free from prison. So he's using this strategically, if I could say it that way. So, and in this remez that John uses to Jesus, he's asking two questions. So he's using this term association. And so the scripture is found in Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9 and verse 11. Let's take a look at it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. There's the coming one. Your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And of course, we know that in a, in a, in a short period of time in Jesus's ministry, he will do exactly that. He will fulfill this to the T when he rides into Jerusalem on that final week before his crucifixion. So he's saying to him, question one, are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? And then in verse 11, listen to what it says. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So John is saying to Jesus, if you are the coming one, then why aren't you setting me free? Because the Messiah, the coming one, is supposed to set us free, is supposed to set free the prisoners. Why am I still languishing here in prison? So it's a question to Jesus, not only about him being the Messiah, but the real question that John is asking that isn't written in the text, because it's a remez, is saying, why am I still languishing in this prison when you're the Messiah? Hey, you're supposed to get me out of here. You're supposed to release me because you're the Messiah. So John used a remez to question Jesus And here's the interesting part. Boy, don't miss this. Jesus answers John with a remez. So in Matthew 11, 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John, now he's going to answer the first part of that question, whether he's the Messiah or not. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk, The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus answers John, John's disciples, with quotes, plural, from Isaiah. He answers with three uh, quotes out of Isaiah, proofs that he is the Messiah. Let's take a look at all three of them. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. We see the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk. Let's look at Isaiah 42, uh, 6. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. And verse 7 says, to open blind eyes. So again, we see a reference to blind eyes being open. The third reference is in Isaiah 61.1, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. So here we have the poor have the gospel preached to them. So in three different passages, Jesus is answering and saying the word 
declares who I am. I am doing what the, what the prophets have spoken about the coming Messiah. I have fulfilled these things. So let there be no question in your mind that I am the coming one. I am the Messiah. But did you notice that there was no mention of prisoners being released? Let's take a look at all three of those scriptures that I just read. All three of them that Jesus used also speak about prisoners. Isn't that interesting? So let's go back and look at each one. Isaiah 35, the first one I said, verse 10, uh, says this, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. Who are the ransomed? Those who are brought out of bondage, brought out of prison, and uh, who have been, I should say, bought, purchased out of bondage, purchased out of prison. Uh, Isaiah 42, verse 7 to open blind eyes, listen to this, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Isaiah 61.1, to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Isn't that interesting? So what wasn't spoken in John's question to Jesus, are you the coming one? we see that he was actually saying, using a remez, an unspoken portion to say, when are you getting me out of this prison? And Jesus answers all three references with, about him being the Messiah, and there are three references to be people being released from prison. But in Jesus using these three references, listen, Jesus is conf- confirming what was prophesied about him, the miracles of healing, but does not address John's prison release. Straight up. In a sense, he's saying this to John. There's more to my mission than you understand, which will be fulfilled at my death. In other words, we know that when Jesus went to the cross, that he freed mankind up from the bondage of sin. Jesus, in a sense, by quoting, by by not wording those three references to prison, not addressing them, but including them, was in a sense saying to John, uh, I'm not here to remove you or pull you out of a physical prison because when I go to the cross, I'm fulfilling something that will pull all of mankind out from a spiritual bondage Uh, of sin and will bring them into a connectedness and a relationship with Almighty God. And so basically he was telling John, you're not going to get out of prison. How can we be sure that this is his message? Because of the context of verse 6. So let's take a look at verse 6. That's the very next verse. I'm going to read it to you in the NIV because it really, it really kind of sharpens the meaning here. And I'll, I'll mention the New King James meaning as well. And it says, Bless, and then he says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And so in the New King James, the King James says, uh, Who does not take offense. But that word offense is very strong in the Greek language, and it literally means somebody who uh, falls into a snare, into a trap. And so he's saying, don't let your thinking, your natural thinking, trap you and get you into the place where you've lost sight of what God is doing. And in a sense, Jesus was saying, your ministry is going to end now. 
just as my ministry will end soon when I go to the cross. And so there is nothing offensive about the healing miracles Jesus has just mentioned. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. There's nothing in that that could offend John. So why would Jesus say, blessed is he who is not offended at my words, who does not fall away on account of me? because of what is implied with Jesus not mentioning those three references to prison, he was telling John, your ministry is about to end. You've fulfilled your call, you've run your race well, and now your ministry is going to end. And so he's saying, don't be offended at this. Let's take a look at our fourth example. And uh, this is, this, I just love this. This is a, what I would call an acted out remez. And so this is, um, in John, it's, it's in John 8, 3 through, nine, 3 through 9. You'll know the story. This is the story of the woman who was uh, caught in adultery, and then the, the religious leaders used her. I believe they, they knew she was having these, these moments of adultery, and I, I believe the whole village knew about it, and that they uh, just used her her uh, acting this out, used her lifestyle to entrap and try to entrap Jesus. And so let's read what it says. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that she should be stoned. But what do you say, Jesus? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Interesting. Jesus knows... The only reason they brought this woman to him was to discredit him. Jesus knows it's not about this woman. They don't care. They don't care about this woman. And they're just using her to get at him. If he came out against this woman, he would lose favor with the people. And if he sided with the woman, then he was coming against the word of God, Moses and the law. So they really think they've got him. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now look at verse 8. This is important. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Jesus is cutting to the heart of the matter here. He's addressing the hardened, unbelieving hearts of the cunning, evil, manipulative religious leaders who refuse to acknowledge God's plan of redemption through Jesus as the Messiah. So what Jesus does is he acts out a remez. 
And so, and he does, does it once, stooping down, riding on the ground. And they didn't get it. So he stands up again, and then they said to him again, they spoke to him again, and so he's basically said, if you didn't get what I just did, let me, let me do it again. And he stoops down, and he writes on the ground a second time. Let's find out what this writing on the ground was all about. It's found in Jeremiah 13, uh, 17, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17, verse 13, and I'm going to read it in the NIV. And it says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you, listen to this, will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now remember, the people in Israel, and especially in the region of Galilee, these people had been trained at a very young age to memorize much of the five first books of the Bible. All of the boys, all of the men memorized much of that. Some memorized it all. And so they were very knowledgeable, many of them, with the book of Isaiah, with the book of Jeremiah. They were very knowledgeable with Ezekiel and the prophets, And so many of them had gone on past that, uh, just memorizing much of the first five books of the Bible. So when he knelt down and he rode in the the dust, they didn't catch it the first time. But when he knelt down again, I believe they caught what he was saying. And the message to them is that none of them is without sin. And he knows this is not about the woman, They are acting out their evil, sinful heart in wanting to discredit and kill Jesus. He's letting them know that they are coming against God's plans and will be like words written in the dust that gets trampled on and blown away by the wind. They will be there one moment and they'll be gone the next because they are forsaking the Lord who is the life-giving spring whose plans and purposes are eternal and will absolutely be established. Well, what's, what's the conclusion? What took place? We see uh, how this ends in John eight ten through 11. With all of those men leaving one by one, Jesus was left there with the woman. And when Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And I like the fact that she used the word Lord. That's awesome. Because if you understand in the Greek language what the word Lord means, it's the word kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. And it means this. It means master, owner, controller, and decision maker. So she has just acknowledged him in that act of kindness and that act of grace. You know what she expected? She expected him her she expected to be stoned. She expected to be judged. She expected for them to condemn her and come against her. And Jesus did just the opposite. And all of a sudden, I believe in being in the presence of Jesus. 
She sensed that love. She sensed that anointing. She sensed his presence. You know, if you look back in uh, the previous chapter, chapter 7, uh, it says that uh, the religious leaders sent people to take Jesus, to get him, to arrest him. They wanted to kill him. And when those people went to Jesus to, to arrest him, to apprehend him, actually in the Greek language, it says to seize upon him, to capture him. All of a sudden, Jesus was preaching, and they stopped. And they, and they were mesmerized by the presence of God. They were mesmerized by his teaching, by his words. And they went back, and they said, well, why didn't you get him? Why didn't you take him? We sent you to arrest him. And they said, no man ever spoke like this before. We never heard anybody speak like this. So the power of God, the love of God, the presence of God... They went to arrest Jesus, and the presence of God arrested them, arrested their hearts. And they couldn't even, they just walked away uh, amazed by the love of God and the power and the anointing and the presence that was there. And so I believe that this woman, being in that presence of love, being in that presence of grace, sensed those same things. And right there, she calls him Lord. And she believes that he is the Messiah. So she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, this isn't just about the woman. This conclusion here is about the grace of God, the power of God, the presence of God that I was just talking about. And so when Jesus knelt down in the dust, in the dirt, and rode in the dirt. I don't know what he wrote. I'm wondering if he wrote out part of, the, of, this, uh, of Jeremiah 17, 13. I'm wondering if he wrote out, uh, you know, those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord. I wonder if he wrote that. We don't know, but I know it was a remus connected to that. And so in so doing, we see each one of those people walking away. What I believe happened is it wasn't just the grace and power that touched this woman's life. I believe the warning that Jesus gave them by kneeling down and bringing out that acted out remez of Jeremiah 17, 13 was a warning to them that they heeded. And they heard the warning and they thought, we could be blotted out coming against Almighty God. And I believe when they walked out, they walked out recognizing, hey, we're no different than this woman. We're all, we're all steeped in sin. I've got sin in my life just like that woman has. And all of a sudden, they came to see the grace and the love and the compassion of Jesus that Jesus didn't even condemn them as he didn't condemn the woman. I believe, this is just my opinion, but I believe that those men walked away that day having been in the presence of God's greatness and through his son. And I believe that their lives were touched and changed just as this woman's life were touched and changed, all because in the midst of that, those accusations, Jesus knelt down as a good rabbi and he began to act out a remez that touched their lives as a warning and brought them into the place of God's love and his grace, realized grace. So I hope today that you've heard something that uh, will take your, uh, your Bible study, your personal study, your personal time of going through the word of God, 
Uh, I believe that this will take your journaling experience as you journal on the nuggets that you receive from uh, the Word on a daily basis. I believe this will take it to a whole other level, and it will put you on a fresh course. I know it's changed my life, and it's been something that I've really enjoyed, and it's just been a blessing to me. And I'm going to be bringing a couple more teachings to you that are going to cover this, and I'm going to cover a couple different other areas of Remez uh, just to show you how interesting the Word of God, how how exciting it can be uh, for your life. Can I just pray for you? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your hand upon each one. Lord, as we've heard a new term today, Remez, Lord, as we're uh, wrapping our head around some Jewishness, of Jesus, to see how, the, how he used the word and how he uh, conducted his life, that we can begin to meld ourselves into that cultural thinking to be able to mine some greater nuggets out of the word of God. Lord, I thank you for helping each one to see this clearly, to understand it. Lord, wrap your arms around each one, hug them and hold them, and just uh, let them know that they can do this. They can grow in this because you are with them. You're inside of them. You're their Lord. Holy Spirit, you're with them. And Lord, I thank you for directing their path daily, directing them into the Word of God as they grow with you. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in their life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thank you for allowing me to be with you today. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Dan. This is really beautiful how the same Jesus who was there with that woman, at that moment, he's here right now, inviting you to say the same words that she says, Lord. Why? Because we're recognizing who is the Lord in our lives, as Pastor Dan was explaining all this. And if you don't know how to accept this Jesus that we're presenting today, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare Jesus is the Lord, see, we see the word again. He is the Lord. And you believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is a great opportunity. The Lord is here. He's there with you right now at this moment. He's, he has his hands open, his arms open for you to say, Lord, I'm here. I'm listening to pastor, and I'm listening, and I know that you are here uh, speaking to my life, speaking to me. So this is the opportunity that you have today to accept Jesus in your life as your Lord and Savior. So as you repeat with me these words, you will be accepting the Lord in your life. And let him be, as the word Lord means, let it be the, the one who helps you going through all your trials and tribulations. Let it be the one who's helping you, guide you step by step, because he is your Lord. He loves you very much, and he's going to expand your knowledge. He's going to expand you. He's going to love you very much, like the way that he loves you right now. So let me pray for you at this moment. So just go ahead and repeat these words for me. Heavenly Father, I heard these words today. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Amen. So if you just repeat this word, you just accepted the Lord in your life. Welcome to the, to the kingdom of God. As the Bible says, you are, you are entering the kingdom and your name has been written in the word of life. So uh, I thank you and uh, thank you everybody for being, this, for being here today. And we love you. 
Thank you for being with us today. We wait for you next Sunday at the same time in the same channel. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Amen.